welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm your host, Ross Chevalier. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, I want to talk about pedal boards. Not what goes on the pedal board in terms of pedals, but what goes into making a pedal board that works for you. You'll choose whatever pedals suit your use case or cases, but the foundation for a functional pedal board is typically consistent and more critical than some folks think. Let's start with the board itself. When I was in high school, I had rudimentary woodworking skills, and I'm being very generous there. But because I did, I made pedal boards for friends out of plywood, usually with a hinge top and a clasp to make transporting of pedals easy. There were a lot fewer pedals in those days, and while the boards that I built were functional, they tended to be heavy because of the materials and because I built them to survive gigging in different locations and protected it against being bashed around. It was a different time, and those boards make no sense today. For musicians today, pedal boards must be very stable, super reliable, be easy to use and troubleshoot, but also easily transportable when that's necessary. Fortunately, there are multiple makers of pedal board structures, from Gator to Daddario to Schmidt Array, and of course the top seller in North America, Pedal Train. Picking a pedal board frame is more difficult than one might think at first glance. It's not just the ability to contain the pedals that you think about, but also the other pieces that are necessary as well as how the pedals will be laid out. The classic layout is from right to left because that is how the input and output jacks on pedals tend to line up, and because we usually try to lay out pedals in the order that we want them to hit the amp. This does not always work, and often we see pedal boards that are larger than necessary because of a less than efficient layout. Moreover, today we encounter the availability of excellent switching systems. Some of a more simple, basic on-off type loop switcher, others having MIDI capability, and some that are actually natively programmable. If you're unfamiliar with this kind of tech, well, because it's not quite as sexy as yet another distortion pedal, I heartily recommend viewing the products at thegigrig.com because they are, in my opinion, the best available on the market. There are others, but I'm either not in a position to comment on them or I choose not to. I own more pedal train boards than of any other type partly because they come in a variety of sizes at a variety of prices. They include rolls of Velcro and at minimum come with a gig bag, although they are also available with properly sized flight cases. The flight case SKUs are sometimes harder to find and tend to be special order items because of the cost. In most cases, I would advocate checking out those products because the cost of value relationship is so high. It's good stuff. I recently bought my first Planet Waves XPND board, expand board. Now this is actually a Daddario product. I have a lot of respect for the commitment to quality that I've seen in Jim Daddario 
and his products have earned my trust. While the assembly of the X-Band board took more time than, say, unboxing a pedal train, the simple expandability that it delivers is a really nice feature to me. The expand boards come either as single or dual row options, and while compact if collapsed, can expand to be very large when needed. Unlike pedal train boards, they don't come with gig bags, but if you need one, you can purchase a gig bag as an add-on if you wish. Did Dario learn that more pedal boards are built for home use these days, and chose to keep the purchase cost down by not including pieces that many of the customers never use. I'm so impressed by the quality and the functionality of the design of the XPND expand boards. My next one's going to be one as well. Now, of course, if you have tons of money, do take a look at the Schmidt Array boards. They're very expensive, but the design is incredibly elegant. They have multiple levels and are self-contained as a hard case with locking covers. And that's part of the fundamental design. For the traveling musician who doesn't want to check pedals because they're doing a fly gig, the Schmidt Array cases will fit in an airline overhead. Now that you've got everything together, you can apply the soft-sided Velcro to all of the rails of the board. The XPND boards have this already done. But before you put the hook Velcro, or my recommendation, the far superior 3M dual lock on the pedals themselves, it's worth your time to experiment with different layouts and find one that delivers the workflow that you want and the functionality that you want. By that, I mean ease of access to the push button switches, to the knobs, and also think about how often you're going to want to tweak the pedal beyond just on and off once you've got it laid out. Once you've figured this out, cut squares of dual lock and then cut those squares diagonally. And as a result, you're going to be putting triangles of locking material in the four corners of your pedal. You don't need big chunks unless, of course, you plan on using TNT to remove the pedals from the board. These triangles work really well, and I have to credit Dan Steinhardt of That Pedal Show and the founder of The Gig Rig for this process. Now, if you do believe that you're going to be removing pedals on a regular basis, I'd suggest stealing an old butter knife from the kitchen and stuffing it in your kit bag. It's a good idea, and it works very, very well. Place the pedals according to the layout you've designed, attaching cables where appropriate when you need to do so. Sometimes it's easier to attach the cable first. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Depends on the pedal design. Like a lot of you, I find the prices charged for pedal board patch cables to be completely out to lunch. If I were buying pedal board patch cables, I would use the Ernie Ball flat ribbon cables because they take up very little space and they've never let me down. No-name cables from Amazon have proven to be bad choices, as have the crab found in fishbowls in some guitar shops where the entire thing is just a molded plastic cable. Those do come with a guarantee. They're guaranteed to fail at the worst possible time. Ask me how I know. I prefer to make my own patch cables. You buy a kit that contains a number of one-quarter inch male ends 
and some cable. You cut the cable length that you need and then push fit the ends on and then lock them down by whatever means the maker offers. These are solderless cable systems. Very quick and the good ones are very reliable. George L's, Boss, Diodario, all offer complete kits for this and they're all very good. But as of today, I'm favoring the Crosby kits for the combination of excellent quality and much lower cost. Finally, you're going to need to provide power to your pedals. Batteries, I'm afraid they're a fool's errand. So get yourself a good power supply that uses independent circuits for each power outlet. Those daisy chain power systems are really quite entry level and they don't give you control over individual power to each pedal. Vendor, MXR, Strymon, and others make pedalboard power distribution systems, the better of which can be attached to the underside of the board if space allows. My personal recommendation has been and continues to be the Chox products, that's spelled C-I-O-K-S. Each outlet has selectable voltage options, 9, 12, 18 volts, and everyone delivers sufficient amperage to power the very demanding DSP-based pedals that we're buying today. Give each pedal all the power that the maker allows for, but no more. I tend to put a dedicated on-off switch after the power supply unit so I can power up and power down the entire board all at once. Some pedal makers' pedals glow and flash even when not in use. That's just plain annoying. That's why I want to turn the power off. I wish that those makers would not do that, but some makers are clearly of the opinion that some people always want to see blinking LEDs. For me, it's a really nasty design and wasteful of electricity. At this point, you've got your board put together the way you want. It will change. That's just the way things go. But by building the board properly and using good infrastructure, you're going to be a much happier musician and you're far less likely to face the situation where the board craps out on you when you least can handle it doing so. I hope that this episode helps you build the pedal board structure that works best for you. Doing it right doesn't take much longer than doing it wrong and saves on frustration and constantly having to fix things. I would always suggest ensuring that whatever board system you pick has space for at least two more pedals than you think that you will use. Again, trust me on this one. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm Ross Chevalier, and until next time, peace. <laughs>